0: Welcome to Thriving. I'm your host, Wayne Visser, and joining me this week is Douglas Tallamy, who's the T.A. Baker Professor of Agriculture at the University of Delaware. He's written over 100 research publications and taught insect-related courses for over 40 years. Some of his books are Bringing Nature Home, The Living Landscape, Nature's Best Hope, and The Nature of Oaks. It brings great insight, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy this episode. Join me now. When I recorded this podcast, I just read Nature's Best Hope. So that's where we begin our conversation. Let me kick off uh, just to to ask you um, about your book and then we can talk a little bit about uh, Thriving as well because I found uh, your approach novel but also I think you made the subject of whether we call it regeneration or sustainability or thriving more accessible. So tell me a bit about about your book and why you wrote it and what sort of reception you think it's had? Oh,
1: it, it goes back. My first book was, was called Bringing Nature Home, published in 2007. Uh, so Nature's Best Hope is, is really an update um, that was published, what, 2020. And I have learned a lot since then. The world has gotten a lot scarier since then. Um, headlines actually helped me quite a bit. You know, (laughs) the UN says we're going to lose a million species and North America's lost 3 billion birds, global insect decline. To my surprise, these statistics are scaring the, the regular public. I didn't think they would care, particularly about insect declines, but I get emails all the time, you know, this is terrible. What can we do? Well, there actually is something you can do. It's a uh, you know it's a global crisis. We've, we've got uh, we've got climate change, absolutely, but we have a biodiversity crisis too. And even if we had no climate change, we would have a biodiversity crisis. They're equally deadly. They have to be addressed. The biodiversity crisis is a gra- has grassroots solutions because we need to we need to create and preserve functioning ecosystems everywhere, not just in parks and preserves. That's been our our mistake. We we. You know, we've segregated humans in nature.
0: Um,
1: that doesn't work. There's you know, we there are humans are everywhere now, so that leaves very little space for nature. So we need to practice conservation outside of our parks and preserves. This is yeah. where the public comes in, and that was the basis for nature's best hope. You, me, everybody, is nature's best hope. And we have yeah. to we have to uh, take on that responsibility, or it's not
0: going to turn out well. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. And and I agree with you in in some ways, of course, climate change is devastating and, and will get worse before it gets better. But I think the crisis that's been most ignored or where we've made the least progress is is biodiversity loss and And it's probably already worse than than climate change and still heading rapidly in the wrong direction. So you know, I'm really hoping that we can bring together the the climate and the biodiversity issue which we're starting to see some signs of especially at cop 26 and now with the biodiversity conventions and so on so at that global level i'm starting to see a glimmer i think for business they still really struggle with it i mean they just don't see the connection which is a pity yeah. uh, so lots of work still to do there individually as you say maybe the connection is stronger people sort of get it uh they they in their own lifetimes, they see and experience the the loss of nature and the decline of insects uh, species, as an example. Um, so, I guess we need both. We need the big global stuff, the business engagement, and the bottom up. And um, yeah, it's it's good to complement each other like that.
1: Yeah. Well, we've made the critical mistake of um, somewhere along the line, we we started thinking of nature as uh, not essential. We like it. We like to visit, but it's not essential. So you know, when push comes to shove and resources are in short supply, which is always, nature takes a back seat. And if it goes, we can we can still watch it on David Attenborough. You know, it'll it'll yeah, be yeah. okay. But that's been a critical mistake, and that's the
0: that's the culture change we have to we have to. And and placing it over there somehow, and and that I suppose yeah. dates back to you know establishing nature reserves. That somehow it's. It's that green space over there that you go and visit. Yeah, we um, can't coexist. We can't coexist, which yeah. is crazy. It's crazy. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, I, I'm an entomologist, mm. uh, and I, you know, study most most of my career. I've studied insect behavior. Okay. Yes. In graduate school, we spent we spent a long time studying plant insect interactions. The main theme, of course, is that plants are protecting themselves, and it forces insects to specialize. And the entire, you know, field of coevolution—lots of debates. This was back in the seventies. Literally thousands of papers about this. Uh, so that, you know, the, the the theoretical basis for the fact that uh, it's native plants that are going to support the food web was established long ago. In two thousand, the year two thousand, my wife and I moved into uh, a new property on a farm that had been broken up into ten-acre lots. Uh, and it had been mowed for hay but before they they took it out of mowing it went 3 years without mowing and was thoroughly invaded with all the invasive species from china i could list them but uh, there's a there's a ton of them and i you know we literally had to cut paths in order to walk around it, the place looked like sleeping beauty's castle so that really was the um, what what changed my direction. One day I was walking around and I always look at plants, I always look for insects. And I say, well, look, they're not eating any of these non-natives. And there are a few natives there, but good, good, good insect populations on them. That would make a, a nice study for an undergraduate. I was not excited about it because we learned about this way back in the 70s. This was not news. Mm-hmm. Of course, nobody was talking about invasive species in the 70s. They just talked about, Close relationships. Mm-hmm. Our insects can't have close relationships with plants from China. So, I, you know, I said, "All right, everybody knows this," but um, that's what led into the, the undergrad. And you know, I said, "Look in the literature, find out what's been done." She said, "I can't find anything," and so I looked, and there were a number of reasons why invasive species were were ecological disasters, but wrecking the food web wasn't on that list. <laughs> well, this is this is a research opportunity, so I wrote a couple of grants and got them which which is always a surprise it says you you know my colleagues hadn't been thinking about this either then i learned the extent to which invasive species are everywhere you know, almost 30 percent of the vegetation in north america is from china um, so food webs are collapsing everywhere and it all fell into place and we started to do research and showed yeah you know when you have an invaded habitat you've got uh, a 96 percent reduction in insect biomass that's that's bird food. No wonder the birds are disappearing. Um, so yeah. it all started coming together, but it really was moving into that property that got me that changed my my direction.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's so interesting because we've just moved on to well we're into the countryside. Let's put it that way. We we have a uh, a large garden by city standards, but still it's not not that big. Uh, we're lucky to have it, but we are surrounded by farmland um, and. Uh, you know, they, they're really just our green deserts. And of course we've got the livestock farming around here as well in Norfolk, which which is a bit depressing. Um and now we just start to see glimmers of regenerative agriculture. We start to see cover crops coming in and putting sheep on afterwards to to eat the cover crop. So there's certainly uh there's a movement building, but uh there's a long way to go. And you know we 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 get deer around here of course um but you, you sort of see I, you can see more of them flattened on the roads than you can because they just have no joined up ecosystem anymore they have to sort of make their way across vast agricultural fields to find a little strip of woodland that's left yes. so i'm hoping actually the the new agricultural act here in the uk might provide some stimulus because uh Land owners, land users are meant to be paid now for ecosystem services, which will be a real. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. That's what we have to go, you know. If you start to store carbon or increase biodiversity, you get paid for it rather than just, you know, stripping the land. So here's here. Put those hedgerows back. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and we still see, unfortunately, we still see some of them being ripped out now. Mm Yeah you know they they're pretty well protected now uh, here but uh, again you just see the benefits uh, and and you think we've undone so much common sense uh, for so long now we just need to start start being sensible again well that you know that
1: that is so true we've lost common sense not just in in environmental issues but in politics it, well, you know you know much more of a business than i do but it just seems like I look at the kids coming into college. I teach them. Yeah, where is the common sense? Which it was eliminated some decades ago, and I don't know why. I'm not sure how yeah. that happened.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's it's a lot to about becoming isolated. I think from from connections, connections to other people and to into and nature. You know, uh, we had a, a lovely talk from Peter Sengi uh, at our school where. You know, it was about systems thinking, of course, and and he. One of the things he's, he said is so much of our lives now have these invisibility cloaks over them. So products we buy, we have no idea where they come from, how they got to us, what mm-hmm. went into them, and so part of the education is just trying to lift that cloak. And I, I guess that's even more true for for young people growing up in cities. Uh, as opposed to my parents both my parents grew up on farms Uh, they're naturally more connected so yeah but let's uh let's shift a little bit and I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about your impressions of of thriving the book but also the concept and um yeah I, I was so delighted that you uh that you responded well to it I get a
1: request to write a blurb for a book, maybe once every two weeks, and um, I, I I often say yes, but years came right I was just totally overloaded. Um, I guess I said, well let me let me try know I, I started reading it uh, and immediately knew this was, this was not the typical book that I write a blurb for. I am so happy you almost drowned in the ocean <laughs> Because that prologue was so powerful. It wasn't the riptide that almost killed you. It was the fact that you started to panic. There was a solution, but you panicked and that's what would have killed you. And that is what's killing us now. We're we're panicking. There are solutions all over the place. You know, there's so many things I loved about your book, but I think every innovative idea that has, has happened in the last 30 years is in that book. Um, So, yeah, you know, they're not all yours, although many of them seem to be, uh, but they're, they're all compiled at the same time. And, and the notion that there are solutions, we just have to enact them is very uplifting. You know, we don't see a lot of books like that. Uh, And, and, uh, you know, I, I, I said earlier, um, it's not just a list of facts there's there's great wisdom throughout that book that i was constantly impressed with i just don't see that a
0: lot so you know hats off to you (laughs) thanks yeah i you know this is book number 41 believe it or not yeah unbelievable and (laughs) and, uh, at some point uh, like two books ago or something, I started saying to myself, should I stop writing books? Because one, I'm not sure how many people read books anymore. Uh, but also when you when you keep hitting, you know, uh, a niche target audience that already is converted, uh, then, then you wonder about the impact. It's one of the reasons I dabbled into film and I did Closing the Loop um, about the circular economy, which you know, now has had, because we released it uh, on YouTube, open sources had about 300,000 views and you think, hmm, maybe, you know, that's a a more powerful way to make an impact, but it, it's not the same as a book where you can really get, get into the, the issues and, and really reflect and, and add the science and add the, the examples. So I tried really hard with this one. It's actually the first one where I worked with an editor uh, to really go through it and, a lot of their input was about increasing the stories, you know. Uh, yeah, so balancing facts. they
1: communicate through stories. Yes. Yeah. And and you know, unfortunately, people don't read anymore. They do. They watch. So going to film is not a bad idea, but it's not the same. I know.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I am hoping and planning to to do another documentary, which will be more around this theme. Um, tentatively called uh, nature positive, because I really now want to visit all of these places that are, uh, you know, are aligning themselves with the solutions. And there are plenty of them. And in some cases, there are big budgets going in, you know, some of the the real big uh, uh, companies, tech companies, but also agricultural food companies are putting billions now into protection, restoration, agricultural uh, regeneration, and so on. So I kind of want to do what I did with Closing the Loop, which is just go and visit them and say, okay, so how's it going, you know, um, and what's been difficult and what are the barriers and and how can this scale? Um, because I have become, after 30-plus years in sustainability, a little bit um, – uh, what's the word? I, I suppose jaded by <laughs> all all the um, so much talk about the problems, which you have to do because they are serious problems, and many of them are getting worse. But without you know, without the solutions, whereas many of the solutions are there and just need the scaling. The difference now, I really feel, uh, is is that we're getting this convergence happening in a number of areas. Where I think the scaling is starting to happen, we're we're on that hockey stick curve of positive tipping points, um, battling against negative tipping points at the same time. But I, I really think we can and will break through in a number of areas. And, and we need to provide solutions that are workable solutions
1: for everybody, N- not just politicians, not not just you know. Um, not just the big folks, but the common man has got to be able to go outside or, or do change something in his or her life that will make a difference. Climate change has been tough that way because, you know, you can stop driving your SUV uh, and you don't see any change. Mm-hmm. Yes, it helps, but it's so minuscule compared to the size of the problem. But when you're addressing environmental issues, you can make you can make changes where you live, where you work, where you play, where you farm yeah. that you can see the difference. Yeah, That's yeah. positive feedback and mm. that spreads like wildfire. So we we need to, we need to push that as well as the big solutions. Yeah. No, I, absolutely- I was on a zoom the other day for um, the group in actually Hollywood uh, in you know, near Los Angeles. And uh, there's a woman who uh, is studies cougars and there have been cougars in Los Angeles. But the big problem is every time they try to cross the road, they get hit. So she has raised eighty seven million dollars to build an overpass. Whoa. And she's raised it. There's they're breaking ground in this one section to build one overpass, which tells me people care. Yeah. So and, and you know, they want a mountain lion in their backyard. That's great. That's great news.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And they have to feel that they're not alone in that caring as well. I I think that's part of it. You know, we really are social animals like insects. And uh, if you can feel that you're part of a movement and that others are also, you know, uh, getting it and and making the changes. It's one of the things I tried to do in the book. I I don't know if I've succeeded, but um, is to to get a better understanding of how change happens in complex living systems, you know, and many people still have very simplified views of change. Like, well, we have to, it's like a democracy. We have to get everybody to agree. No, we don't. You know, Uh, this is more uh, infection. Infection is a better, viruses are a better example of how change happens in, in large systems.
1: Well, we are, you know, we, For better or for worse, we are a tribal species and we follow our tribal leaders. So people in power um, have enormous uh, sway over over the rest of the tribe. This is where celebrities come in. There's a lot of celebrities that are very big on on, uh, environmental change. And and it does make an impact.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was also interested in your insect uh, roots (laughs) and... uh, because I I came to discover E.O. Wilson very very late, and I, you know I've come to love his work, and uh, I think he's he's also sadly just passed away, but he's also had a massive impact. But I do think there's there's some fascinating insights that we can take from that world to our world.
1: Yeah, well, of course, Wilson created the entire field of sociobiology, mm-hmm. uh, and it really stemmed from his his work with social insects. He was my my academic god for ever since graduate school,
0: yeah
1: Amazingly productive man and and his loss uh, day after christmas was was a huge yeah. loss Yeah, uh, lost time love joy on Christmas so two big losses um, to conservation yeah. you know he was ninety two uh, it's not a big surprise, but many of us are going to have to pick up the ball at this point because um, you know one of the things that the most he had a number of quotes, but I love the one that said, conservation is a discipline with a deadline. Hmm. And we're approaching the deadline. So yeah. we have to work harder.
0: Yeah. And it's wonderful to see occasionally this, you know, scientists that break through. We, we see it with uh, Rockstrom now fairly recently, his planetary boundaries are really breaking through and, uh, um, Kate Rawworth, from the economics point of view, with her donut economics. Um, you know we need these these people who can translate uh, and and we're among them, of course, in our own way, uh, trying to translate science into uh, common sense and to yeah. uh, get people excited about it
1: well, you know one of one of the foundations of common sense is that the earth is not growing, it's <laughs> finite. Yeah. And to have a a an economic system based on perpetual growth, this, this, this is not common sense. So you know, what do we do? I understand how it came about, but it is not sustainable. So
0: what do we yeah. do about that? Then? Yeah, there's that Kenneth Balding quote. Uh, the economist, he in the 1960s, he wrote about spaceship Earth, and he said. Uh, anyone who believes that you can grow infinitely on a finite planet is either a madman or an economist. So, yeah, yeah you, got, you got that right. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I also think that, you know, that we need that insight into psychology as well and sociology, you know, because how do, why do people act in such, why do we act in such uh, bizarre ways where we know the earth is finite or we know... That, uh, you know, acting in a short-term way can have long-term consequences, but still we do it, you know.
1: Well, we do it because we evolved that way. We we were small uh, bands of close close relatives for an awful long time. And there really was no long-term future. You had to make it through the immediate present just Mm. to, you know, be there tomorrow or certainly be there by the end of the winter. So planning 15 years down the road made no sense at all. And and you know, we had hundreds of thousands of years of that type of selection, it's hard to get rid of that. Yeah, so what we need to do now is use that intellect we all talk about and say this no longer makes sense. So, immediate short term gain is doing us in,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it's the it is that social cultural evolution that needs to catch up in a way with uh, well, the biological evolution will only take us so far, and in some ways, we'll will be a a barrier so we need to compensate
1: yeah
0: um one of the books i enjoyed recently was the good ancestor i don't know if you if you read that No, i haven't read that yeah that's uh, coming at it from a slightly philosophical point of view but um it is about long-term thinking and why we struggle with that and how we can overcome that um I don't want to keep you for too long, but I just want to also get any any insights you've had on um, what's worked well to to sort of keep seeding the movement uh, and, and getting people excited about this, getting traction with your book. Because I, I deliberately also put in the title, The Breakthrough Movement, because unless this becomes a movement, you know, it, we fail anyway. So yeah. I, I really want yeah. people to get excited about this.
1: Well, even before I I started writing books for the public, um, they were curious. They said, please come talk to us, bird groups and various groups. And I started giving talks. uh, And they more or less have gone viral. I have never advertised to give a talk, but um, people talk to each other. And I get about four talk requests a day. With the advent of Zoom, I can do a lot of them. I do one almost every single day. You know, I did one in Ohio the other day. There were 4,900 people on it. Wow. So that's. That's reaching far beyond, the you know, the group of, of 50 or 100 in a, in a little auditorium. Uh, and that keeps keeps spreading. So that has been successful. I've always said, you know, a documentary that people actually watch would be wonderful, you know, like an Inconvenient Truth or something. Yeah. I don't have the resources to do that, but I'm sure that would be effective. Um, you know, we've got a, a new, new uh, it's like a social media website called want to create homegrown national park. Uh, and everybody's going to record their little piece of conservation on this map and watch the whole country light up. We've um, got about 14,000 people. It's free, so there's no reason why it shouldn't take off. But the object is to get to that non-choir who doesn't realize that we can't be separated from nature. We have a re- Everybody has a
0: responsibility to get our stewardship because everybody needs it. All right. Well, enjoy your day. I know you're a little bit behind me, so enjoy the rest of your day yes thank you very much and, and good say luck hello to you. your wife i'm uh, really happy she read the book as well
1: you know what she read the book to me <laughs> that's, oh, what, we, that's, that's what we do i'm so tired at night and she'll sit there and read to me and we, yeah, yeah. we go book after book that way i just love it yeah i'm a little embarrassed to admit that
0: but no uh, no i do it with my wife as well we read a little bit <laughs> every, every night uh, to each other yeah and i'm
1: pretty sure my cat liked it too it was
0: <laughs> right there right <around> <laughs> <laughs> great Okay. All right. Take care. Here's Douglas. Bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. You know, Doug talks a lot in his book, Nature's Best Hope, about how we can use our own gardens, to bring back nature, and so I'd like to end with a poem called Garden Wise. I'm learning how to plant new seeds, to nurture sprouts and let them rise. I'm pruning back and pulling weeds as branches sway to gentle sighs. I'm listening to the songs of birds and watching bees and butterflies I'm reading nature's book of words As seasons turn, all lives and dies I'm resting during winter's calm And blooming with the springtime flowers I'm soaking summer's healing balm And letting go for autumn's hours I'm finding secrets, tracing flows And keeping faith while cutting ties I'm conscious how my spirit grows I'm slowly getting garden wise Thanks again for joining me join me again next week when my special guest will be Virginie Elias who's the chief sustainability officer for Procter and Gamble and she'll be talking, among other things, about PNG's new water strategy. So join me then. In the meantime, have a thriving week.